Jesus only uses the word two times in the Gospels. Paul mentions the word many times. Uh, The word is church. The word as it is commonly used today has changed from its original meaning. It's like the word gay. Uh, 50 to 60 years ago, gay meant somebody who's happy. Today, it refers to someone who is homosexual. Uh, The meaning of the word has changed. When Jesus first used the word, it was a powerful word for hope and help and healing. Now when the word is used, it often refers to a building. A church is a building used by Christians. A mosque is a building used by Muslims. A synagogue is a building used by Jews. Church has become a divisive term. Christians and Muslims and Jews are often divided. Possibly you don't believe in Jesus because you see all the division uh, with religions in the world. You want nothing to do with religion. And churches are often divided with each other. There are 7,000 churches in Washington, D.C. No one ever says, it's wonderful how all the pastors love each other and the youth pastors The first time Jesus used the term was in response to Peter, his disciple, who said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and so on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome him. He said the church is all people who put faith in him as the son of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan and all his forces will not be able to stop the church. The church is the body of Christ called to carry the fullness of Christ to every part of this world. Perhaps the only thing more unfathomable than God coming into this world in the form of Jesus Christ is that God calls us to be the vessels of His message, His glory to every part of the world. Whether you're a teenager, single, married, parent, grandparent, it should blow your mind that God trusts you to take the message of Christ to your family, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers and classmates. Parents, it's important that you talk about this with your son or daughter, that they go as his representatives wherever they go. We need to get the church back to its original meaning. This is the fifth in a series of messages called Jesus' Curriculum. Uh, It's about seven key things that Jesus taught his disciples. And I got this material from Doug Coe, the founder, uh, from Beth Warner, who gave it to me from Doug Coe, founder of the fellowship that does the national prayer breakfast every year. These are principles he taught to to, to Christian leaders in all 196 countries in the world. First one is, what is the purpose? 
The purpose is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Second one is, what is the gospel? The gospel is not points we believe about Jesus. The gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. Third one is, what is the work? We're activists. We think the work is to get up and do things. It might be those, but Jesus says the primary work is to believe in Jesus Christ. Before you act, you trust, you pray. Fourth is, what is the ministry? We talked about this last week. What is the purpose of the church? What are we trying to accomplish? What is our win? The ministry is reconciliation of people to God and people to each other. Now today, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. A consultant used a five-point scale to measure the health of organizations. He suggested 4.25 is a flourishing organization. 4.0 is a healthy organization. 3.75 and below is a toxic organization. 4.0 is all right. It's nothing to get too excited about. It's like kissing your sister. 3.75 is toxic. Nobody wants to be in that kind of organization. So how do we get a healthy organization? How do we develop a healthy church? In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul suggests a way. Turn to Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. If you want to use our Bibles under the seats, it's on page 1,175. What makes a healthy church? Paul suggests at least three things that make a healthy church. First, a healthy church is united by love. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Your calling is to be the body of Christ wherever you go. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, be completely humble. Humility is essential to love. It's when we consider ourselves more important than other people that we run roughshod over them and hurt them. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. If we're to love, we need to be patient with people. How's your driving? We're to bear with one another in love. This means that we're to suffer with the difficult habits of our mate, our family, our neighbors, roommates. Gary went through the terrible experience of losing his five-year-old daughter of brain cancer. The week after she died, he went to church. About halfway through the service, a wave of emotion swept over him, and he began to weep, and he wept the rest of the service. A few days later, the pastor asked him, well, when you're sitting there, did anybody put their hand on you and say, hey, it's okay? Did anybody reach out to you? Did anybody talk to you after the service? He said, no. When I heard that story alarms begin to go off in my mind. I thought, that can never happen at Portland Community Church. So I began to think about, 
What do we need to do to be a church better able to reach out to somebody like Gary that comes to our church? I began to think of the teams we have that we need to strengthen or new teams we need to form. One team we have are our hosts. Our hosts stand at the door and greet people as they come in. They stand at the name tag table and, and say hi to people. They hand out uh, prayer dares after the service and journals. They, they talk to people. But I wondered, do they know when they're doing that that a Gary might be coming in who's just gone through a horrific loss One of the teams Mike is trying to form this year is called the Welcome Team. Welcome Team will be our hosts. Some churches call them greeters. But he wants to give them more training so that they, you know, not only greet people and talk to people, but they would connect people to other people in the church and they kind of follow up. They look for them every week and At our starting point class, I hold it three times a year, and uh, I ask people at the end of the class, well, why are you coming to this church? Or why do you keep coming back? What do you like about this church? Well, one pastor asked a similar question at a class like that, and one lady said, well, I came to this church and I became a Christian basically because of a greeter. pastor was intrigued, and, and tell me more about that. She said, well... I was going through a very tough time in my life. And I decided I'd go to church. I hadn't been to church before. And it was so difficult for me to drive into the parking lot and walk into a church I'd never been to. I didn't know anybody. But I finally got up the nerve, and I walked in really wondering if this was the right move. And I got to the door, and a greeter said to me, Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And she said, there was just something about that. I felt like I was really welcomed. And I walked in, and I felt a whole lot better about the experience. I sat down, and over the weeks, I began to hear about how I could have a relationship with God. And I committed my life to Christ. The pastor said, well, did you ever thank the greeter? She said, I don't, know who the, I don't remember who the person was. Do you realize when you take a role in the church, something like that, that your attitude, your words can be that significant for a person? Another team I thought of was our usher team. We have great ushers. But I thought about what if a Gary comes in and nobody says hi and Gary has to find his way to his own seat? I mean, we need ushers that are, are willing to help people come in and seat them as far forward as possible. We know that people toward the front are always more engaged. And an usher's not going to get into a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with somebody, but maybe enough, a word or two, that the person feels like somebody cares. Paul mentions another characteristic of love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're to spare no effort to keep the unity. We're to go out of our way to be unified with other members of the body of Christ and not get splintered. 
You know, one of the ways that Christians can get splintered today is over the partisan divide. I mean, our country is locked in. Both sides feel like if they lose the election in November, our country is doomed. And both sides are talking in religious terms. They feel like they're carrying a righteous cause. When you have that going on, the divide's not going to go away after November. So we have to decide as Christians that there are people in our church that are on both sides of this divide, and we're not going to let it splinter us. I'm not going to let my political views make me despise a Christian brother or sister who believes differently than me. Notice that we don't create the unity. It already exists, Paul says. We just have to maintain it. What's the source of the unity? Paul lists seven reasons. There's one body. There's only one body of Christ. He's comparing it to a human body. There's one spirit. When you commit your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. The same spirit comes into your brother or sister in Christ. How can you be divided? Just as you were called to one hope, we all have the same hope, that Jesus Christ is coming again and He will make all things right. One Lord. We believe there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of the universe. One faith. We all share the same faith that Jesus was raised from the dead. Look for yourself. The tomb was empty. One baptism. We all come to Christ the same way by confessing our sins and admitting that we need Him in our lives and inviting Him in and getting baptized. And one God and Father of us all. There's only one God. We only have one Father. So don't let ourselves be splintered. A healthy church is united by love. Second, in a healthy church, everyone helps in some way. Paul goes on in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. By God's grace, He's given every member of the body of Christ abilities to serve Him in the church and in the world. As we serve Him, as we serve in the church, we make the church healthier. Paul goes on, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul tells us that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers... They are to equip people for works of service. They're not to do all the work themselves. They do some of the work, but their main job is to equip everyone to get in the game. So everyone sees they have a role. Our pastors are not to do all the work. They're to build people up and help them know that they can be part 
of serving Christ. When something's not done in a church, it's easy to say, hey, what's wrong with the pastors? We pay them to do this. When all people in a church are involved in some man, uh, me, uh, form of service, the church is healthier. Paul says in verse 16, From him the whole body grows and builds itself in, up in love as each part does its work. Each part, that's you and me. Paul likens the church to the body of Christ, to a body. When I drove in this morning, I stopped at a red light. My eyes perceived that the signal was red. And it signaled to my foot to move from the gas to the brake. Now, what if my body didn't function properly? What if my eyes didn't perceive the color because they were all mad because the nose had done something to hurt their feelings? What if the foot decided, I am sick of being bossed around. I'm going to keep my foot on the gas. Or what if the foot was hurting but was too proud to tell the left foot that it needed some help and the left foot needed to step up and press the brake. In any of those cases, there could have been an accident. Likewise, the parts of the church, that's you and me, have to work together. When we don't all help in some way, we cause burnout in members who are carrying more of the load. You can always tell when people are burning out in a church. You begin to hear comments like, nobody helps in this church. We never have enough volunteers. Nobody cares. I have to do it all myself. When everyone helps, the church is healthier. And let me make sure you understand me. When I say everyone helps, I don't mean that all your help has to be in the church. Probably most of your ministry is going to be out with your family, your roommate, your co-workers, classmates, your neighbors. You serve Christ wherever you go. Jack McMillan started to work for Nordstrom when he graduated from college. He began as a shoe salesman. He worked his, himself up to senior leadership in the company. It helped that he married one of the Nordstrom daughters. From 1971 to 1995, he served as co-chairman and uh, co-president of Nordstrom, along with the Nordstrom cousins, Bruce, Jim, and John. In 1976, Jack, along with seven other members of the Nordstrom family, purchased the Seattle Seahawks. They sold it in 1988. Jack has said, if I had known they would win the Super Bowl a few years ago, I never would have sold. Years into his marriage, his wife got interested in Christian faith, and she invited him to a marriage encounter weekend. There, at the age of 45, he gave his life to Christ. 
And he came home that night, and for the first time in his life, he led his wife and five kids in prayer. He decided right then that from then on he was going to live for Christ, not for himself. And he was going to leave work earlier and get home and spend more time with his family. And he got involved with the fellowship, planning the King's County uh, annual prayer breakfast and the Washington State annual prayer breakfast. He got involved in a group of men where they would study the Bible and pray for each other, like our discipleship groups. He met with Bruce, Jim, and John, the other members of the senior leadership of Nordstrom, every week or every day. He was part of the decision to make customer service the number one priority at Nordstrom. He helped forge the company training that taught people, use your best judgment in all situations. There will be no additional rules. Nordstrom empowers their employees to make the best judgment decisions they can with customers. Another one of the things they teach them, never say no to a customer. (laughs) The classic example is is the gal who was standing at a counter in Nordstrom, and a guy marched in with tire chains and says, I want you to take these back. And she looked at him and said, did you buy these at Nordstrom? Yes. And on the spot, she made the decision to give him $59.99 even though everybody knows Nordstrom does not sell tire chains. That's how much senior leadership respects and trusts their employees. Jack served Christ at Nordstrom, and he's continued to serve Christ in the Seattle area. Just let him tell his story for a couple minutes. And he had a buddy that was a shoe repair man, and they decided to open a shoe store. He had three sons, and the three of them ran the business as a team. They were of one mind about the business. Everett Elmer and Lloyd Nordstrom, Lloyd was my father-in-law. I came along in 1957. I started selling women's shoes. I didn't know much about selling. I didn't know much about shoes and I didn't know much about women. We never had a CEO or somebody who was uh, one man in charge. So the four of us became a team, being honest, working together, seeing the best in others. The team approach is something that we always emphasize and still do today. I had a good job and the company was doing well and we had a green lawn and a nice car and we were looking good. My wife, She says, uh, I thought you'd like to know that I've decided to join the Catholic Church. I said, okay, you you go ahead and do that. You join the Catholic Church, but leave me out of it. When you're growing up, trying to figure out who you are and where you're going, you meet somebody, you fall in love, Well, what follows that second stage, romance? It's disillusionment. And she came to me one day. She said, would you go to marriage encounter with me? I said, sure. I felt 
totally convicted of selfishness. I went home after that weekend and got our five kids together and prayed with them for the first time. I think they thought I was nutty. That started my journey to uh, follow Christ. And so those 23, four, that's 37 years I've been on that, that journey. And I bumped into this group of guys about uh, 20 years ago that were doing the work of Christ informally. And we started to meet regularly around the principles of Christ. And our idea was to work for the state of Washington, to connect believers together. You know, God has placed you where you are. You're in a position of some influence. So just do what you're doing. It's been really gratifying to see the way that things have developed. Uh, we're involved in the National Prayer Breakfast, the Washington Governor's Prayer Breakfast, the King County Prayer Breakfast, uh, the Washington Student Leadership. We kind of make the, the climate, create the climate where those things can develop and grow, much as the Nordstrom team had done for Nordstrom for uh, winning the state of Washington for Christ. Matthew 25, 40, whatever you do for the least of my brothers, you do unto me. I want to please God rather than please man. That's probably the overall 40,000 foot view of the way I view my faith. So in a healthy church, everyone, like Jack McMillan, serves Christ's kingdom in some way. Finally, a healthy church helps people grow to maturity in Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A human body needs exercise in order to be healthy. Well, it's the same way with a Christian, a member of the body of Christ. You can't just take in spiritual food. You have to exercise and serve. That's how we grow strong in the Lord. When we serve God, we become healthier, and the church becomes healthier. When you step forward to serve in some way, when you serve during the week, people in your life, you grow stronger in Christ. Paul goes on, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He says it again, as each part does its work. As we step up and serve Christ, wherever we go during the week, here in the church, we grow stronger and the body grows. When the war broke out in Sarajevo, an American reporter was there. One day saw a sniper hit a little girl, six years old. It ripped away the skin of the back of her head and he dropped his his stuff and he ran to the man that was holding her and he helped him quickly get in his car 
And he stomped on the accelerator to get to the hospital as fast as possible. And while he was driving, the man said, please hurry. My child is still breathing. Kept going, and again, the guy says, please hurry. She's still alive. A little later, he said, please hurry. She's still warm. They're almost there, and he says, please hurry. She's getting cold. By the time they got to the hospital, she had died. And as the two men were in the restroom washing the blood off their hands and their clothes, the guy said, this is, this is the hardest part. I, I dread this. I have to tell the girl's father that his little girl died. And the reporter looked at him just kind of in amazement. He said, I thought she was your daughter, your child. He said, no, but aren't they all our children? Indeed, all who suffer in this world belong to us. There are people suffering all around the world. Here in Portland in our homes, at our schools, at our places of work, here in our church. If we're going to make the biggest impact, we have to all notice who's around us suffering and serve them. You have only between this day and your final day to make a play for God. Isn't it time to make your move? So let me just talk about our takeaways. The church is the body of Christ. As unfathomable as the reality that God became a man in Jesus Christ and came into the world is the fact that He trusts us, the body of Christ, to take His message to everyone in the world. That's unbelievable. A healthy church is united by love. In a healthy church, everyone helps in some way. A healthy church helps people grow to maturity in Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do so today by saying, I believe you're the Son of God. I've sinned against you. Would you come into my life and forgive me? You can do that as we pray right now. And tell God that as a member of the body of Christ... You want to take His fullness everywhere you go this week. Lord Jesus, thank You that You trust us with the awesome responsibility of being ministers of reconciliation, taking Your fullness to our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, our employees, our employers, our classmates, our teammates. It's unbelievable. And we want to do that this week. Would you, you pray right now, give you a minute. Tell God you want to be His body this week.
Lord God, thank you that you've given us the awesome responsibility. If we've committed our lives to your son, Jesus Christ, to be the church, the body of Christ, taking your message, your fullness everywhere we go. May we remember that this week, wherever we go in Jesus' name.